Yesterday, right here on All Things Apostolic, we talked about uh, the, well, I don't know that you can think of a better word to use than the revival that is breaking out at Asbury University in Kentucky. And we talked about the fact that this revival in a university is not the first time this has happened. Uh, we discussed the one that was at Harvard and the first awakening in America, the first great awakening, which was 1720 to 1740. And then the second great awakening was 1795 to 1835. And these were times when the Spirit of the Lord just came like a, a, a cloudburst and, and hit in these places. And uh, preachers and people were anointed of God. And the primary characteristic that was talked about was a sense, an, an awareness, a definite knowledge that we are in the presence of God. And repentance and other things took place, which um, conversions by the thousands, the whole, the, in, in the city of Rochester, over 100,000 people were converted in the revivals of Charles Finney. Um, and on and on, we could go talking about that. All of this, though, right now at Asbury University is taking place in a nation in which the latest research is 43% of all adults in America no longer go to church. So, in contrast of this, you have what's happening at the university with young people. And if you keep listening this week, you will see that this is also happening with young people in different ways. Tomorrow's All Things Apostolic, we'll be talking about that. This is in apostolic news. And so 43% are not going to church, and yet among young people, there is a, there is emerging a powerful revival in which, frankly, it's like they don't care what people think about it. Now, this, this revival in uh, Asbury University is in uh, their chapel, which holds 1,500 people. It's an auditorium that holds 1,500 people, and it's been full, and the revival's now been going. It's in its fifth or sixth day, and students that were there for the very first service, some of them have never left. They get, I think they're bringing in snacks in the back for people, and they can go out, and then they can come back in, and, and they're singing worship choruses. They're praying, and lives are being transformed with this touch of the Holy Spirit uh, with them. The ironic thing is, this is among young people, and now Mount Vernon University has sent young people down there out of their university. OSU has sent people down there out of their university. Purdue University has sent people down there. Georgetown University has sent people down there. Regent University has sent people down there and others, some of them all the way from California that are sending them into Kentucky. This is also an irony. One of the greatest, most impacting revivals in early America took place about an hour from where Asbury University is. And it was called the Cane Ridge Revival. And it was in Kentucky, and it was a powerful, powerful revival. Now, in those old-time revivals, thousands of people would come to these, and this is where the idea of religious camp meetings got started. They would go, and they wouldn't just go for church on Sunday. They would go prepared to have camp meeting, 
and they would go camp for a week, sometimes two weeks at a time, and there would be so many people that it couldn't all be organized. So there may be 10 preachers preaching at one time, not to the same bunch, but over here, this man or person is preaching to a thousand people, and this one may be preaching to 5,000, this may be preaching to 500, and this one may. And so uh, these camp meetings were enormous. There were some of these people who had voices that must have been outstanding, one of which was George Whitfield, and um, uh, he's well known in American history. George Whitfield at times preached to, history tells us, up to 20,000 people with no PA system, but this was on a hillside. So perhaps it was in a place where his voice would just project there. And while they were preaching, the spirit of the Lord would fall. And historians have said it was like a mower going across a wheat field. The spirit would start moving on one side and people would fall out in the spirit and it would sweep across the whole field. It was these revivals which formed the deep Christian conviction and understanding of God's spirit and of all that goes with that, the morality and the life uh, of holiness that goes along with that, that became the underpinnings of America and have brought us to where we are today. So somebody says, well, I don't, I don't know if I think that Christianity would be the right way for the nation. And I don't, well, you know a tree by its fruit. So my little challenge I would throw out to you is find some other nations in the world that have ever matched. Find some empires in the world that have ever matched the United States of America and other free nations that uh, espoused revival. Uh, and uh, there is no such thing. There is nothing like America any time in the past. I'm not waving old glory today and on some uh, emotional appeal. I'm telling you the truth. And it's a nation that was established primarily by preachers out of these universities that had these uh, spiritual upheavals and spiritual renewals uh, in ways that always drew different responses just as this outpouring at Asbury University is drawing different responses. It always drew response of detractors and people that were critics, people that said it wasn't healthy, people that uh, derided the fact that these people are what they would consider to be in emotional excess. Uh, others would call it extremism, religious extremism, and on and on goes all the terms that have put, been put together to try to downplay the reality of this. Well, so what would our response be to that here on All Things Apostolic? Well, our response would be you can't just know God with your brain. There is a knowing God that doesn't come out of the Grecian philosophical construct. The Grecian philosophical construct is really kind of the basis where we get the scientific method that came out of the Enlightenment from whatever it was, 15, 16, 17, particularly 17 and 1800s, where the Enlightenment uh, influenced uh, Western European thinking and that, and that it's rational and everything has to be uh, subjected first and foremost to logic before it's embraced as being real. Well, we know that that's not true. There's all kinds of things that do not fall in logic that are real, and we all concede that they're real, like love. Love is not, first of all, well, let's see, do you, uh, 
Uh, how much will they make if I marry them? Uh, what's their health like? Are they going? These are not the criteria on which people initially, I mean, there may be exceptions, but uh, these are not the criteria that people initially use when you talk about love. The criteria is something that's intangible, and it is something that goes out of a person, and it, the other person is attracted to them, and those attractions are in a world, an abstract world, that doesn't fit well with test tubes and, um, and scientific measurements. So, so there's the Grecian way of knowing that does uh, use logic. And there's nothing wrong with that. We have to have that. Why? Because that's what we are as human beings, in part. But that's not all we are. So when you say, I don't believe anything that cannot be subjected to the scientific method, well, that's not, first of all, that's not true. You do believe in things that can't be subjected to the scientific method. And there are many things, but they don't come out of the cognitive side of a human being. They come out of the affective side. Affective, like affection, uh, where you have love or feelings. And uh, when you get to, when you talk about love and when you talk about the affective side, you're talking about it's impossible to, and here's where this hits into these revivals, it's impossible to talk about love without coming to the crossroads with encounter. Love goes out seeking an object to bring back into itself. By an object, I don't mean that's not a subject like another person. It's just something outside of themselves. And, it's, and love seeks to bring that back in. That means encounter. So, so the, the Grecian definition of knowing is one thing. The Hebrew definition of knowing is shown to us in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where Adam knew his wife and she bore Cain. So knowing was intimate relationship. Knowing was encounter with other and that kind of knowing isn't subject over here to all of your rational criteria. So, but people who are used to thinking like 99% rationally or whatever the percentage would be, especially when they think religiously, only rationally, only logic. Then they look at this where emotions are, are open and there is transparency before God. And I would say to the rationalist, there is therapy going on here that anybody that goes into therapy does not just stay in the rational and learn a new set of six principles to practice. Anybody who goes into therapy ends up in a deal where the emotional side of this is discussed and where it's dealt with. Well, nobody deals with that like God deals with that. So what's going to happen in these revivals? Well, However, emotions are like a river, and it has to have banks, or it can, it can go astray and create what we would call a marsh where diseases and stuff ferment. So everything has to have uh, teaching. So the teaching banks that are logical, they, they hold this within. So the next thing we would talk about if we had time today was, what are those banks? Well, those banks are found in the Word of God. They don't come out of your mind, and they don't come out of my mind. They come out of the Word of God as to what the banks of those 
uh, are for these people to emotionally worship God. And I would close by simply saying those banks are a lot wider than what modern-day Christianity is willing to allow. And these university students, whom I admire greatly, are saying, I'm not going to stay within your banks, your definition, or your denomination's definition of the proper banks for the flow of emotion and worship to God and of love and of adoration. I'm going to get in the Bible's banks. The Bible's banks are not here. The Bible's banks are way out here. And all you've got to do to know that is go read the birthday of the church in the book of Acts. I hope you've enjoyed today in all things apostolic, and we will see you in the next